0: One thing uh, would be, uh, she mentioned how when she was invited to the pastor's house, uh, the two big things that she mentioned was he did not present the gospel or invite me to church. Now listen, let's be very careful here. Uh, There is absolutely nothing wrong with meeting someone for the very first time and presenting the gospel to them or inviting them to church. Uh, I think she almost overstates that point. Uh, I think sometimes friendship, uh, the the friendship evangelism that never shares the gospel is very easy to fall into where you can know your neighbors for like 10 years and never actually talk about Jesus. So I'm actually more scared of of, uh, waiting too long to share Jesus than being too quick to share Jesus. So she's coming at it from a different angle than I'm more used to on that. The the other thing I would say is um, when she said it wasn't friendship evangelism. It was just friendship. I know what she's trying to say, but it was friendship evangelism. He was just doing it in a way that made her feel, I think, love. So let's, let's be careful with some of the language there. I, I could quibble with a few of it. Just as we open up, any, any quick quibbles about any, any of the wording that you would, you would mention before we get into the good, the, the positive side?
1: I, um, I was impressed with her, his emphasis, Ken's emphasis, and, and then her subsequent emphasis on repentance. Um, Luther, in his, the first of the 95 Theses, said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's every minute of every second of every hour that you're breathing, we're repenting, because we're sinners. That's an important ingredient, I think. And an indication of re- regeneration. Yeah.
2: In terms of quibbles, I think you, you covered what mine were.
0: So, let's then we'll talk positively here. From the, let's start with the evangelistic side from this, this pastor and his wife. What are some takeaways we can have in terms of their approach, some things we can learn from that? Some of it may be obvious, but I still think it's worth discussing.
2: Well, I mean, the initial thing she talked about is she didn't feel like a project. Yeah. Um, She wasn't just, they weren't just reaching out to her in order to, like, get a trophy. Oh, you know, we won this person to Christ. You know, look look what we did. A lot of churches have that mentality. It's all about numbers. It's all about, you know, bragging about, you know, we led this many people at this event and this many people to Jesus. And it's all about how many numbers they can get.
1: I don't like that word, led to.
2: Oh, no, I agree. Um, and so I think his whole Ken Smith's mindset was, she's a real person, and yeah. we're going to get to know her, and we're going to care for her as a person. Right. Um, and I think, you know, she talked about hospitality and how the, the LGBTQ plus community is very good at hospitality. Um, I think Ken Smith and his wife showed her hospitality f- from Christians in a way that, she'd never thought Christians could do. Like it, and I think that's what she kept saying. It, like, it just The way they treated her just completely upended her expectations of how Christians were supposed to treat people. Um, and so initially, it's just the fact they loved her as a person. They, they weren't ashamed of the truth. I mean, it's obvious. The whole reason their friendship started was because he pushed back against her what she wrote. Um, right. And he was the whole time clearly... Speaking truth to her, her, him and his wife were teaching the Bible, speak speaking what scripture said. Um, so I mean, there was no doubt, I think that um you know where he stood on things like I think it was clear. I mean he might not have preached the gospel, he might not have invited her to church, but at the same time, there was no doubt, I think as to where what he was trying he was trying to help her understand the Bible better and what the Bible said and convince her of that. So
0: Just kind of jump off that yeah. point. So when she said, remember, that she said they had the two filing uh, systems, or she had the hate mail and the fan mail. And she said, that, <laughs> I got this one letter that defied my categories. It was disagreement, but it was the kindest letter of disagreement I've to this day ever received. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lesson to be learned there. And I, I've, I've distinguished this probably three times already. I want to keep saying it. If I'm talking to, say, Christian kids about the ideology of the LGBT system, I'm going to be pretty intense in the way I'm disagreeing with that system. When I'm thinking of it as a system of thought, I'm going to be combating it very directly, very bluntly, very, I hope, strongly. But when I am interacting with an individual from that system, it's a different kind of way of speaking. So there there is there is a kindness there. You're not panicking, freaking out. He is calm. He has her for dinner. Remember. I want to clarify something. In 1 Corinthians 5, it says not to associate with someone who claims to be a brother but is guilty of, say, sexual morality, don't even eat with such a person, but she wasn't claiming to be a sister in Christ. So it's a completely different thing. If someone is not claiming to be a Christian, you have them over for dinner no matter what sin that they're guilty of, right? And you, you talk to them, you, you listen to them, you ask them questions, you answer their questions. There's no panic, there's no, you know, n- none of that. Just the calm demeanor, responding with biblical uh, answers when appropriate and just loving her as a person, those things I think contributed to her opening up and trusting him and spending more time with them. With it was weekly that, that she met with him.
1: Well, the couple was winsome too. I mean, they introduced her... You know, subsequently to that she began well i guess she'd already been exposed somewhat to the bible but he he encouraged her to read the bible and then interpret i mean this is one on one basic discipleship one on one you open the book and and you talk about the bible what it means and and i think she probably uh, she didn't um, embellish but I, I, I assume that he Regularly, They got together regularly and, and discipled her and answered questions, and, and, and that's what we're supposed to do, Matthew 28, make disciples, go into the world and make disciples.
0: And I don't know if it was in this clip that I showed, but she, she said somewhere in this that she had, she, by the time she was converted, she had read the Bible cover to cover seven times through her research. As a, as a non-Christian, she read the Bible through seven times. She read each book in its entirety as like a literary, like he said, she said, "I didn't. I should, it wasn't until later that I learned from Christians you're supposed to randomly open the page and put your finger on a random version. Oh, it's my verse of the day. It's like, no, no, like and I read it, pray, like I read prayer. Jeremiah as a book. I read Isaiah as a book. I read Genesis as a complete literary book, which is actually, uh, th- there's something to that. that we we should approach that. Yeah, in, in that kind of form. But she, she read the Bible seven times through before she was converted. And so God was working slowly through the Word. Really, someone coming from far away, I mean, you can have a Paul of Damascus Road conversion like that. That can happen to anybody. But very often, it's a slow thing where a building has been built, a faulty system of thought on a false foundation. And it's almost like piece by piece, the Holy Spirit takes apart this building, and it comes down to nothing, and the foundation is destroyed, and then a new, you know, concrete is laid, there's a new foundation, then there's a whole new structure of the gospel built on top of that whole new life. And that can take, for some people, years, years to go from staunch secularist to devout Christian. It could be a year, you know, conversion is a moment, but the process to get there can take months and years, and we need to be patient and not give up hope. Um... You know, I know we've mentioned her many times. I don't know if she's in here right now, but Caitlin now would. When she was an atheist, if you don't know, a few years ago, she came to Bible study. She came to church over the course of two-plus years, and it was a very slow process. She would come to dinner. She would, she would ask questions. She would say at Bible study in our living room, as a non-Christian, I have a question about this verse. And we're all like, oh, wow, that's great. And so that she would ask, and we would all share, and we would talk. And over a course of years, she went from atheist to agnostic, like, okay. And then she went from agnostic to, like, theist. Like, I'm, the, I'm a deist or a theist. Like, there's a God somewhere, but not Jesus. And then she became a Christian. And so it, it was a two-year-plus-long process. But the, we need to be ready for that kind of thing. We're, the, we're over a long, the long haul. Uh, we, we're patient and continue to love, and, and we, see, we see the Lord uh, do what he does. Uh,
1: go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no you first. Um, it's interesting that, of course, she was a literary person. That's why she could read Isaiah and Jeremiah and... Total books. With the varying genre. she, she noted that. And, and her hermeneutic was, was real important, too. Uh, I thought it was interesting. She mentioned Psalm 119, verse 56, but I go to 55. Because they use the, this is a Presbyterian church, they use the Psalter, and I love the Psalter. Um, and they actually sing the Psalms. And I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And that was seemed to be an impactful verse as well during her worship time. So it was the Word speaking, God speaking, Spirit speaking.
2: Well, and, and on that, that's I was going to talk about related to that is the the trust that Ken Smith and his wife had in the power of the Bible mm-hmm. to transform. I mean, here you are with a tenured women's study English professor who's a professing lesbian, all about pro-LGBTQ+, plus everything. I mean, that was her life, was advocating for that. And they read scripture with her. They, they encouraged her to read the Bible. And so I think if any, one, one thing really challenges me is like when it comes to unbelievers that we might be witnessing to, trying to share the gospel with, encourage reading the Bible. I mean, she was the most, I mean, she says the unlikely convert. She was the most unlikely person to To get saved because of Bible reading. But the more she read, the more she encountered God, the more God used his word to completely upend the way she thought. And so we need to trust in the power of Scripture. It is God's word. Um, and so let's not be ashamed because I, this matters because I think so often in evangelism, at least we're, we're. at least I was, it's like you're almost wired. You don't want to put too much emphasis on stuff because I might turn people off. But they gave her the most offensive book in the world, and God used it to, to radically change her. Um, there was another thing I was going to say, let, but I, I forgot. Let me Go jump ahead. in on that.
0: That's a great point. I, I, I'm not beating up on anybody. I just, I'll sometimes hear people saying that, you, I, I'm just numbers of times, people have told me this um, uh, some of the students I've taught, and I, I can understand why they say this, but I, I don't think it's right that they'll say, well, you know, my, my co-worker's not a Christian, but if I, if I talk to them about Scripture, it's not going to do anything because they don't believe it. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the God of the Bible, so why use the Bible? And I, I totally understand why they say that, but I, I don't think that's right because, listen, objectively, this is the sword of the Spirit. Someone doesn't have to believe in the Spirit for the spirit to still exist. <laughs> someone doesn't have to believe this is God's word for it to be God's word. And so this is still mighty, even if someone doesn't believe it is. So, you know, Bodhi Bakum has this great illustration of like a, of like a knight with his big sword coming into battle. And he says, he walks up to his opponent. If y'all, have y'all seen this clip? He walks up to his opponent and the, his opponent says, I don't believe in your sword. And the guy says, all right. And he lays his three foot sword on the ground and they just go to fist fight. <laughs> He's like, that's crazy. The guy doesn't have to believe in my sword. It still works. Even if the person doesn't believe in it, I will prove him it's real. (laughs) He says, I will use my sword. But if this is the sword of the spirit, someone does not have to believe in the God of the Bible for the God of the Bible to use this word to regenerate their heart. Uh, And so she didn't believe in, in, in God when she was reading the Bible. Seven times through, she doesn't believe in God while she's reading it. And before long, what is the Word doing? It's operating on her almost uh, against her own will. Like, it's, God is at work in her heart performing that work that only His Word can ultimately do. So we should not ever put away our sword when it is truly the sword of the Spirit.
2: Well, she used the, the phrase, the Bible interrogated her. Mm. Like, because, you know, as, a, as an English professor, as a literary critic, she's interrogating texts. And then she started realizing, this book is interrogating me. I mean, we all know that. Um, but let's, again, just harping on the same point, let's trust that we, we want this book to interrogate us. We want it to expose our hearts and our minds, um, you know, whether for good or for ill. If it can do that with us, let's trust that it's going to do that with, with the lost. Um, again, there, there might be kicking and screaming. She was not a fan of it for the longest time. But God's word is powerful, and let it do it. What was it Spurgeon? You know, it's it's. I'm kind of paraphrasing and applying a little differently. People were talking about defending the Scripture. He's like, you don't defend a lie, and you let it loose. You know, in evangelism, we don't we don't have to like apologize. We don't have to hide it. Just let the Bible loose, and let trust it, and pray, and trust that God's gonna use this to to great effect.
1: The word interrogated me. That's how I came to Christ. Uh, I was a little little older than the norm, but I was convicted by the Word, by reading the Word. And interrogates a good, a good description.
0: All right, we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap up here. Um, Greg, could you close us in prayer?
2: Yeah, let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, we are not mighty to save, but your gospel is because it is spirit-empowered, Um, and it doesn't matter where someone is, doesn't matter what they've done or what they are doing, doesn't matter what they've professed. God, your word is mighty to convert and to save. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be firmly rooted in that reality. God, you are the one who saves, and you can save the sinner that we would say there is no hope for Uh, There are many people, Lord, that we will come across that are just like Rosaria Butterfield was. And we say, they are so far from you. But God, it doesn't matter how far we might feel someone is. Your word and your gospel can save. And Lord, I pray that we would be renewed in our conviction on that. Lord, and we'd be renewed in our confidence in the power of your word to, to change a life. Lord, we depend on this book to change us day by day and week by week. Uh, So Lord, help us not doubt its power to change a lost sinner into a believing saint. Um, Lord, give us the grace, give us the patience, give us the humility and the tenderness that uh, Ken Smith and his wife had towards uh, Dr. Butterfield. Lord, help us to have that same kind of demeanor. Lord, we genuinely care for people. We don't see them as projects Then, Lord, help us not be afraid to have conversations. Help us not be afraid to to share the gospel and ask questions and to be asked questions. God, because we know your word in the end will hold up. Um, And so, Lord, I just pray that, uh, Lord, even this week, Lord, you'd open our eyes to see some opportunities to encourage people to read the word. Um, God, because we know this book can do miraculous things in people's hearts. Help us have those opportunities and see them. Um, And Lord, we just look forward to seeing how you're going to work, God, because as long as we're still here and Jesus hasn't come back, we know there are still so many more people yet to come to faith in Christ. And Lord, help us see ourselves um, as faithful witnesses, as evangelists, as ambassadors who have the word that can bring that salvation to reality. Um, So Lord, just go with us in that this week, um, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.